everybody. This is the Cinematic Odyssey. I'm your host, Tristan Rodriguez, alongside with Max Clark, co-host of this wonderful show. We have a special guest in here for today, uh, Griffin McMorrow. Griffin Danger McMorrow, I should say. Yeah, include the middle name. Exactly. So crucial for branding of course, purposes. Of uh, yeah, we're going to be in here talking about the Cut Gems. We mentioned that last week uh, on a Jojo Rabbit episode. Uh, yeah, Uncut Gems, directed by the Safety Brothers, Josh and Benny, one of the most exciting director duos since probably, I guess you can, are maybe the Coens or the Wachowskis, either one of those two, um, but most certainly outside of the duo aspect, I think the, just them as directors are, there's somebody, to, there's some people to look out for in terms of what they're making, because I think Uncut Gems is a masterpiece, and I know, Max, you highly disagree with that take. But basically, uh, yeah, features Adam, S Adam Sandler in one of the best um, performances of his career. And he plays a manic, paranoia-filled paranoia uh, <laughs> gambling addict who makes terrible decisions that leads to the end of his life <laughs> and, and he loves basketball yes he's a, a he is a basketball fanatic the uh. guy yeah the guy is crazy <laughs> so oh, yeah. that's that's basically what the film is um again spoilers i guess i already spoiled you it spoiled already the, spoiled the i spoiled it ending. i spoiled it already <laughs> but it's okay i mean if you're listening you should have already watched the film yeah. um but fingers crossed anyways so max here does not like the film. That's correct. He, what? you know what? You <laughs> know what? You you go. You go into why. Shall I explain myself? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So go, go into it. I, I did see the film in theaters when it came out. I was excited. I heard the buzz. Oh, this could be the film that gets Adam Sandler uh, an Oscar nod. And that would be. Can I ask, cool. like, how long had the film been out before you saw? It? Like, how much how much buzz had built around it? And was it just based off buzz? Like, had you seen the Safdie brothers? Anything they'd done before? I had not. No, yeah. I, it was solely based on buzz. I went with a few friends um, to the theater. I think it was like a junior in high school at that time. I, I was not as good at breaking down <laughs> film and media and stuff like that as I am now. Sure. I am not. I was not looking for a deeper meaning. I was just going to sit through it and be like, oh, I hope that's a good movie. And I was not watching any art films at all leading into this. And so I left leaving thinking, geez, that was just a lot of guys yelling at each other. And so I, I, I decided, you know, we got to revisit it. We have to revisit it. We have to see what we uh, – because your ideas change as you grow. And I, I, I watched this, and my ideas did not change. I, I still picked up a lot of the same things that I got on my initial watch. Um, it, it's stuck. It, I mean, the only thing that I could pull from this is that it's, it's the play Death of a Salesman without any growth from any of the characters. Death of a Salesman follows Willie Loman. Willie Loman is a salesman. Surprise. Uh, and Willie spends his whole life trying to make something great of himself. He believes something great of himself because he's, he's been pumped full of this, this 
hot air. He believes he's great, and he still believes he's great until his untimely death. He, Willie, through his life, spends his moments pumping his son full of hot air, making him believe, Biff, believe that he is a great man, a great student. He's destined for greatness. And it takes Biff finally realizing my father kind of sucks, and I am nothing. I am a high school dropout who does not have squat. In this, Adam Sandler, his Howard Ratner is full of hot air. He does not know every DJ on the block. He does not have the power that he believes that he has. He is a shell of a man, and he rides it until he dies. But there is no grand revelation. There is no change. He does not reconcile with his wife. He does not... There is no... Resolution? Resolution, yeah. yeah. There isn't any growth right. from any of the characters in this film. I'd... So... There's no, no, go ahead. Except maybe, I, I should say, except maybe from... What's his name? The brother-in-law. Oh, um, Arno? Arno. Except maybe from Arno in the final scenes. Uh, mm. He maybe grows to like like him a little bit. So so what I will say, and there's a lot of stuff I want to talk about before we get right into the ending, but just to, to, to talk about that, I think, don't you think it almost says something about like the themes of the movie that Adam Sandler as this modern day sort of incarnation of the death of a salesman character, that he's denied any sort of resolution because he is killed right at the end immediately the second that his luck literally turns yeah. around yeah he is immediately murdered and that's the end of the film yeah well, well think about it i mean do you th if there is no change there's no growth in his character uh throughout the film <laughs> what makes you think that he's gonna change because he has a million dollars now mean, but, he, but, he's, but he's denied that change but outright entirely his he, fortunes changed in death of a salesman willie commits suicide prior like the day that his house gets paid off. Mm. And he they're finally free. He and his wife, they're finally free of this burden of continuing mm -hmm. to pay off their mortgage. Mm -hmm. And she she says at his grave, the house is completely paid off and there is no one to live in it. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, say the ooh in the mic ooh. again. <laughs> yeah, that was that's a good sound effect. <laughs> but um see so I think it's interesting, though, because Sandler's – because I, I think there's a, a degree of it also where uh, Sandler as Howard Ratner at the end is denied that uh, that yeah. chance to change. But there is also, given his history and the other – the multiple plots that are going on, the, the schemes that he's found himself in in this movie, right. there's a strong possibility that he wouldn't have changed had he been given that opportunity – and so I, I think there's an element there that's kind of a through line, too, where Sandler's playing a deeply flawed character mm -hmm. who is not... I, I think the movie is kind of more of a character study than it is a, a film that is trying to have this sort of thematic depth like a Death of a Salesman narrative is, you y know? Yeah, that's kind of what the uh, the vibe that I got. Because when I saw it the first time when it released, I didn't get much out of it. It didn't click with me. Because, mm. I mean, I, I saw... The directing, the editing, the performances I thought were fantastic. But I was missing this kind of moment where I was like, oh, I get it, you know? 
and I didn't get that when I saw it for the first time. Uh, it was only a f- few years later when I rewatched it, and I was like, oh, my goodness. Josh and Benny are geniuses. <laughs> this is incredible. So I'll, I'll say also, I think I've watched the film more times than anybody here. I... I love that. This is one of my favorite movies to come out in the last 10 years and probably like in the running for one of my favorite movies, like period. I, I love this film. It's yeah. fantastic. Um, because I do think that while it is like a very intricate character study of, of Howard Ratner, I don't think that that's to say that the movie doesn't have themes. Oh, no, it certainly does. Yeah. It certainly I does. Because the, the, the one scene in the beginning uh, when... Howard first gets the uh, the, gem. the gem, yeah, yeah and and he looks into it, and it's a very deep thing. But he only sees the money that the it can money provide out of him, it, yeah. yeah. Versus when uh, Kevin Garnett comes in the store, also pl- does a great job. Yeah, played by himself. Kevin Garnett, by Kevin Garnett has not acted in anything <laughs> to, to to my knowledge uh, before or since, but um, stares into into the the uncut opal. And uh, yeah, we we have the scene pulled up here, and he sees this sort of this this deep history of it, and the, the spirituality within it. He, it speaks to him on like a more intricate level, right. and I think that's a theme throughout the film too. And I think that that is like one of one of Howard's character flaws is that he's constantly chasing the bigger dollar. He's you know, greed. that's what gets him into all of the all of the right. problems. He's and gre- oh, sorry. Oh no, no. <laughs> you, oh. He's yeah. He's greedy. He's very materialistic. He's not. There's nothing to him. He's very shallow. Yeah. And which is fu- it's it's ironic because when he gets cash, when he gets that, he just wants to gamble it away. Yeah. And just essentially throw it away and hope to God that and it becomes more. And that's yeah. why I think it's interesting too. Sorry, now wait. No, don't worry. <laughs> I, think, I think it's interesting too. The, the way the film ends is him. He does not get the chance to change or, or the resolution that uh, a character typically would. Mm-hmm. And also earlier in the film when he uh, has that first big win and his brother-in-law cancels the bet before it goes through, I think it's interesting that there are two moments in this movie where he does not have the chance to resolve these issues. And you get the idea that even if he had, it wouldn't have mattered. Like, because this is just his day-to-day life. Like, these are the problems that he gets himself Mm -hmm. into. Mm -hmm. If the movie did resolve the key issue, you know, with that first bet, like halfway through the film... There would be something else, you know. It would yeah. be something that keeps that keeps him going. Yeah. the The point that I was going to go back to was Kevin Garnett looks into this opal and sees the history. Why does he see the history? Because Howard is selling him the opal. He's selling him the history of the Ethiopian Jews, the black Jews who are digging in the mines, who are working every day to c- harvest these rare, rare gems. He's selling him this this vision as well and he looks into it and he sees the history he looks into it and sees the depth well, yeah. because he's been sold that and that i'm just bringing it back to death of a salesman mm. again i'm just I, trying I to bring it back all the way there but i think it's interesting also because then throughout the literal narrative of the film when he has the gem he does better at what he's trying oh, to do right perform- so, he so it is like way yeah way so it is what he sort of puts into it as well even if it is just a line that howard is selling him you yeah know? i think he gen- no i think he genuinely believe that when he saw it right like kevin saw it and also those are i mean i feel like this is like the bare minimum i shouldn't be this 
shocked, but I looked it up. Those are the genuine performance yes. uh, numbers of Kevin Garnett and this Boston mm-hmm. Celtics. So, no, yeah, this is all, all real. real yeah. life. If we I can, love that. If we can yeah. back up thematically for just a second and totally. talk about, I, and I, I hope you can agree on this at least, the amount of intricacy that went into the writing of this film Definitely. where they had to find, th- like, to use Kevin Garnett specifically, like, they had to find a basketball player who had a good game, a bad game, and a great game that would also be in the New York area for him to come into uh, Howard's jewelry store um, around the time that the movie is set as well. Uh, and, and then they bring the weekend in later. It, the way that it all syncs up to what was really happening in these cities, like in, in real life, what could have been happening, I think is just very technically impressive. Def- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> definitely, yeah, yeah. definitely, definitely, definitely. I mean... There were 10 years that passed, I think, between the writing of the first draft of this film and the release, the theatrical release, which is amazing. You spent 10 years of your life to make this, and that's it's impressive, and you've got to have that level of intricacy. I I love the use of The Weeknd, (laughs) and that they're like, he (laughs) – Howard's getting thrown out of the club where he's performing, and he says, I know every DJ. No DJ alive is going to want to play this guy's stuff. And we're here sitting now. <laughs> this guy's done a Super Bowl halftime show. He's won how many Grammys? A lot. Uh, he's he's on <laughs> the radio. One of the most popular <laughs> artists in the world. He's on the radio constantly. <laughs> I do, and I, it's yeah. just that's that's funny. Cause it is it, funny. It, yeah. And I mean, I think that that I'll I'll bring it back. He goes. He, he's out of touch. And and to talk yeah, about though also because I love that you held onto that line that. Uh, I know every DJ on this block. Yeah. Because it just makes me think about also like how, how good this script is to me in that it's so quotable. Like, and I think you see that like on Twitter and stuff. Now <laughs> people use the gifts of everything. And, oh, yeah. and, 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 yep. and Howard is such like an imitatable character. And that's what we can talk about the Adam Sandler performance a little bit later. I don't want to yeah. ease into it just yet because I kind of want to focus on the script a little bit more. But I think that that's one thing that I, I think there's some thing to be said i think of how good a performance is based off of how easily imitatable it is it's not all that can be said because you can also say like you know tommy wiseau in the room is easily imitatable but the fact that adam sandler like lives in this character so well within the two hours we see with him that like I, I can hear somebody do an impression of this character specifically, not say a line from the movie, and I'll be like, oh, he's doing Adam Sandler in Uncut Gems. I know what's going on here. I, uh, to, that, to that point, not, not with Adam, but uh, with the writing specifically, because when the film released, there was a lot of buzz about specific, uh, the specific feeling and vibe that you get from watching a film like this. It's supposed to be, supposed to fill you up with anxiety, supposed to be stressful to watch, you know, stuff like that, which I most definitely got when I was watching it uh, in theaters in 2019. But the major, like, one of the major aspects specifically with the script is the way that so many conversations are happening at the same time. Like, in the scene when KG comes into his shop at the very beginning of the film, you got you got a lot of different people talking at the same time. And the way that the Safties directed that to be able to like kind of dice- decipher each thing that's being said in a very um, congestible way or digestible way is uh, very impressive. And that happens throughout the entire film. Yeah. 
the entire film. So can we talk about also just a like a little fun fact with uh, how they direct specifically? I, I found out that they don't use any place marks or anything like that for the actors to go in. No so blocking. They, no blocking. Ooh. They, they just, just follow go them. whatever. Yeah. Wow. So wow. It, it adds to like the naturalistic That's type really feel cool. of their directing. I didn't know that. But that is like any scene where you'll see Adam Sandler like walking in the street. There's no place where he's supposed to end up specifically. It's just how the characters sort of meet in, in whatever the scene That's is. Cool. That's really cool. Yeah. And I think that that like the trust that the directors have for their actors as well um, at that point is is really something to me. Uh, and, I, you know, maybe they're just really good at their behind-the-scenes job. Maybe they have really good cameramen who can really <laughs> stand to, to be on the move. But there's a lot of synergy that really works in these scenes to me. Yeah. I buy that totally. I mean, they, they have a lot, a lot of intricate camera work. I mean, a lot of times in the shop um, – Especially when he's trying to buzz in Garnett and Damani, his, yeah, yeah. You know, his associate, and the door's stuck. They go back. The camera follows um, one of his handymen back to the back room while he grabs a hammer and then follows him back out to the front. We can hear Howard screaming over all of it. And it's just – he he's it's still chaotic. You can hear him everywhere. It's – Really, really cool. It, it's th- that it's design, and it's the way that the direction and Tristan, like you said, the writing work as well, mm. where there's so many different things going on at one time, yeah. and I think the direction really drives that home. Oh, most definitely. But the writing, I mean, and it's it's funny too when you think about writing and you think about these kind of dudes who like write high fantasy, right? And they have these different plot threads on on like a wall, right? And it's just like following all these intricate things. You could do that for literally this movie that takes place over like a week in 2011, you know? (laughs) And and, because it is, and there's stuff, and it's a world that feels so lived into Mm -hmm. because some plots are happening like completely in the background. Like you, you find these guys that I think towards different points in the movie come up to Howard about the fake watches that he's selling them. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. a plot that happens entirely in the background. <laughs> but like it, it has like a through line. Like you can follow that plot. You know what I mean? You can draw like uh, your own conclusions off of what happened in that plot yeah. based off the information you're given. And that's, it, it places you in this world that is so lived in and so like well thought out. It's much more similar to Lion than to Jojo Rabbit. It is much mm. more realistic. It is, follows a very, very limited timeline. Um, if we're going to go Aristotelian, it's the unity of time. It's a very, very short, very, very sweet section of time in which the, the actions of the film take place. Griffin, do you mind if I ask you a question? Mm, go Danger. ahead. Danger. Here's hey. the question <laughs> for you. <laughs> when you say a performance is easily imitatable, yeah. Do you mean just to do an impression of it, or do you mean that someone it should not be um, I replicable by another actor? I think to do an impression of it is what is what I was referring to specifically then, because what I will say, and we can get into the performance aspect of this a little bit now. I know we'll have some disagreements here <laughs> based yeah. on the yeah. free talk, yeah. um, because what I will say is that we talked about the narrative threads that are going through in Adam Sandler's performance. I feel like I can see a man who is trying to tackle all of those things at once. Whereas, like, you know, obviously someone doing the impression of that is not going to have that level of depth to the character. Right. But the way that 
uh, Adam Sandler as Howard works in this movie, I feel like I can constantly see gears turning. Like he's never just in the moment that he's in. He's thinking about like whatever other eight subplots he's got going on. You know? Yeah. Uh, he forgets the ring. He's got to remember the ring. He's yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And the it feels very, very human. Yeah. The crucifix too at the very beginning. He sell. He pawns that off. Yeah. You remember that? I do remember that. The the club uh, promoter that. Gave him the crucifix of Michael Jackson. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, well, if we could talk about the props Jewelry. for these movies also. <laughs> the the, there were yeah. diamond-encrusted Furbies. Furbies. Yeah. I love that. It's great. It feels so, like, and that's another thing that feels, like, so real in the way that it's this kish and, like, <laughs> in, yeah. in terrible taste. Yeah. Diamond-encrusted Furby is hilarious. Yeah, not, no, eyes move. But, yeah. but uh, not, to get, not to get off track. Yeah, so Adam Sandler's performance. Yeah. Now, I know somebody, a good friend of mine, uh, my aunt's uh, husband. He he doesn't like his, his Adam's performance, and he the reasoning he has is that it's just Adam playing himself, but the movie is good. Everything surrounding <sighs> Adam and his performance is good. At I least in his his eyes, I disagree. I think his performance yeah. is fantastic. It's, I just don't know that I agree with that. Based off of like, I don't know Adam Sandler as a person at all. But no, I guess everything I hear, he's I a guess relative. He was, <laughs> I guess he was more specifically referring to his other performances throughout his career. Oh, okay, I, not, I, not, not not him as a not him as himself, but. Well, so wait, are you saying him as Howard? Though he said was just like Adam Sandler. Yeah, yeah, just like I, I Adam Sandler's <sighs> previous performances. I can disagree with that. Yeah. I can disagree yeah, yeah. with that. As somebody like, who doesn't love the performance as much as the other two yeah. people at this table. This is correct. JT, yeah. JT, if you disagree, if you're listening to this, <laughs> text me. Or or no, <laughs> if that's not what you said, just <laughs> let me know. Because I may I may be misquoting him. But I, I don't know. But yeah, I mean I, I think there's elements of his performances. Like I, I've seen and so this is what I'll say too. I'm coming in with no bias in the fact that like i don't like adam sandler no, me either. uh i like even when i was a kid even when i saw like his good comedies like the the happy gilmore they're billy madison good. i don't yeah they're i don't good. love them they're not good um and i can see how you could say like you know elements of his performance like in uh like in a happy gilmore or yeah that's what the movie is called mm -hmm. is like it may be informing some of what he's doing here but you know th those are like cartoon performances yeah, you know this he's, is he's a playing. drama this yeah. is a serious film i mean saying that is the same way as saying like uh like jim carrey's performance in like the truman show was influenced by the mask because he has goofy <laughs> faces still like he's, he's doing like yeah i mean i guess you can say in that you know i think all actors performances are enhanced by each other and by the actor themselves but i don't agree that you can just plop Howard in this movie mm. and any of Adam Sandler's other flicks no. and just have yeah. the same film. Well, maybe the I mean the writing, the writing also the, writing the writing's sure. a big part yeah, of it. But he has a good script, but even then. to work with. Although I will say, people will overlook this. But Punch Drunk Punch Love, Drunk Love. Yeah. Paul Thomas Anderson, and love that film. Too. I'd I'd say Punch Drunk Love is a better performance than this because so in that regard, he plays somebody who he hasn't played in his entire career. I don't know if I agree that Punch Drunk Love is a better performance than this, but I will say that those are opposite performances. Like I, no, I don't they think are. they're, and so I don't, I don't know how people could say that this is not a good performance. No, it is a great <laughs> yeah, performance. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not disagreeing. No, no, I no, think no, it's fantastic. That was more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What you got, man? I think, I think the merits to Sandler's performance in this film 
the merits are that he is playing an ordinary person. He is playing somebody that in all likelihood probably exists. There's probably some guy in New York City who's struggling with gambling addiction, who is trying to make ends meet, who's possibly cheating on his wife, uh, who probably owes money to people. In all likelihood, if you're listening at home and all of this applies to you, it's not. It's this just is a not guess. A, yeah, this yeah. is not a targeted Purely attack. Jewish diamond store owner too. This yeah. is a this <laughs> is New a, York. This is a statistical guess, not a depiction of fact. Uh, but he plays a realistic man. It's nothing yeah. over the top. It's nothing that he's he's not playing a cartoon character like he does in mo- a lot of his comedies. He's not playing. You know, this outrageous elf, Will Will Ferrell elf character. He's an ordinary guy in the regular world that we all live in, and he does that very well. But you don't think, because he's an ordinary guy in the regular world that we all live in, sure, but he's not just like Joe Everyman. He has a lot of quirks and eccentricities that make him a unique character, and I think it goes to say something about the performance that you see him as like such a regular ordinary person yeah. if you gave a worse actor this performance they would be like cartoonish i think mm-hmm. I, I think they would be cartoonish because of like all of the bad decisions <laughs> that adam sandler's character makes throughout the film and and some of the lines that he says yeah. and you know he would yeah he would look like uh like a cartoon stereotype well, that's I true think. this could totally have been worse yeah it could it could <laughs> it, c- it could have been worse I mean, it's I no Jack and Jill. <laughs> <laughs> I I watched. <laughs> Such a hard hit. These are, we have my I rattled the table. <laughs> I think Al Pacino. I think Al Pacino's performance in Jack and Jill was absolutely <laughs> superb, and I yeah. do quote that uh, uh, Dunkin' Donuts jingle yeah, every yeah. single day. <laughs> but I mean, you, uh, Danger, you're right. <laughs> if I, I have to now, um, you're right. If you do throw a, wor- a worse actor in this film. It uh, it's not as good. Yeah. I agree with Adam. That. Adam has talent. The guy has talent. Hundred percent. The guy has talent. But just because he made. But yeah. Yeah, Jack and you're Jill gonna pull up another one, aren't you? Terrible. But boneheads <laughs> are like. Just because. Every just because he's got quirks and eccentricities, every ordinary person's got quirks, quirks and eccentricities. Yeah. The people that you know, the people that you spend a lot of time with. I mean, this film is centered around him. This is two hours and fifteen minutes of him. If you spend a good amount of time around somebody, you're going to pick up on their quirks and eccentricities. If this movie followed Kevin Garnett, mm. we would pick up on his his little quirks that make him him a person, you make know him I, an athlete. You know what I will say, and this goes back to a testament of the screenplay as well, is this movie doesn't focus on Kevin Garnett or right. Adam Sandler's mistress, who I don't remember the name of. Julia. Julia. Julia, Julia. Ju- she's played by Julia Fox. Her name is Julia in the film. Or same Julia. first name. Julia. Okay. Julia, Julia. <laughs> well, because that's the Safdie brothers thing as well. They just have people play yeah. functionally themselves. Yeah. Um, but you, we don't know. You know, we the movie doesn't focus on Kevin Garnett or on uh, Julie and but or Arno. You understand so much of their stories just in what snippets you get from how they interact with Howard. Howard I think yeah. throughout this movie, Kevin Garnett. I feel like. I don't follow basketball myself. Uh-huh. Uh, I feel like I get, it, it, I don't know how true to life his character is. I understand a lot of what his character has going on motivation wise just from the few scenes in this movie. You know, like I feel like I get like 
what what's going on in his head and and same especially mm-hmm. with arno the one dinner scene we get with arno where you find out that he's like kind of doesn't fit in with the rest of the family you know he's not i i don't i think the implication is that he's not jewish uh yeah perhaps or not of the same well because he said so in the yeah they have a passover dinner in the film and i don't know i don't know howard's relationship with gooey Hmm. is that his father-in-law yes okay okay so his wife who by the way they are separated so i don't i don't know if they're i don't know if he's cheating on her Per se, because it's, it's there's another woman. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he is cheating on her. Let's be frank. It's it's uh, like an illicit affair, but she like knows. She knows about. Well, it. Well, just like how she knows about it. Pro- mean it's no, 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 no. They're yeah. in the process of getting a of divorce. Separating. It's like a uh, it's like a Tony Soprano situation. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Either yeah. way, he's not a good dude. Besides yeah. <laughs> the point. <laughs> Anyways, he uh, so you got yeah. They're at the Passover <laughs> dinner. They. They do that whole process, uh, um, and then they're like sitting down. Um, so you got Howard, his father-in-law Gooey, some other family members in there, and then Arno comes in. Or actually, before they before they meet in the cigar room, Howard goes to the bathroom. Arno conf- like goes there too, and Arno is clearly not as tough. Like yeah. he's tough persona is gone yeah because his like goons or whatever is not are not there to protect him yeah and adam and clearly takes advantage of that and so that's what Howard. i'm saying i think is interesting is that each character ha- is uh, to me each character is giving a layered performance or like i'd say maybe the only one who isn't is the weekend who maybe has like a line and a half in this movie yeah, he's more of so a prop than an actual character yeah, yeah. In this, this is film. true but everyone else, they have their own plots going on and their own and their own thoughts and motivations going on, just as they interact with Howard uh, throughout the film, you know. And so you're not spending a lot of time with them. You're sp- only spending time with Howard. You don't see anyone else uh, how they operate outside of him, you know. And so I think the fact that I can gain so much about what these other characters have going on in those interactions is a testament to the screenwriting. Perfect. Okay, I, I'm glad you said the screenwriting and not the acting. No, I no, I mean, I think the acting is great, but, like, all around, I think the acting is great, but I think that is a screenwriting thing, first and foremost. Exactly. I was going to say, if I followed you around, yeah. like, <laughs> if I was right behind you every s- for a day, I could probably gather your relationship with the people that you talk to. Yeah. That's a screenwriting thing. That's not – I would not say that's an acting thing. Although I do think – I mean, I don't know. I, I think, though, the performances being that layered – across the board to me i think that is an acting thing at that same time where they can they can uh perform the different faces that they're supposed to be doing according to the screenplay you know like like tristan was saying at the passover dinner you're seeing the dynamic between those two characters change for like the first time in the film you know and it it's so instant and like lived in in that moment like it's not a question it's not you don't see it as it happens, but you know why it's happening, like, immediately. You get what the environment is for yeah. those characters. But, yeah. And I, I feel like that even calls into the cinematography, score. <laughs> oh, and we can talk about the score, too. So can we good. talk about the score real quick? That is by one Mr. On a Tricks Point Never. Yes. We love his work. So good. We love his work Amazing. here, folks. <laughs> Excellent score. I really love this score. If if I can just fully geek about the score really Daniel quick. Lopen. Do it. Do it. Um I love how 
serene it is, but at, at various points, and then it, it picks up, you know, during the action sequences or whatever is happening at the time. But even during the most serene points, there's this this subtle like chaos to it that I think on a trick's point never does very well. Mm-hmm. That while the screen will be having like a calm scene, the music has this sort of intangible chaos to it that I think puts you in the frame of mind of like Howard, whatever scene he's in, you know, like even during the calmest moments, even at the the very beginning, the like intro cut Mm -hmm. as we're going into the gym and everything. And it's so crystalline is like a good, I think, word for it. There's not a melody. I I can't pick out. It's Mm -hmm. kind of just sound. It's yeah. You're trying to capture a feeling. You're not trying to leave people with a melody. You're not trying to get a motif out of it. You're, you're, you're just trying to, Fill the silence with a feeling rather than a song. And that's, I think, on a Trick's Point Never, it was a great choice for this. I can't remember if he's done other soundtrack work. He did, he did with the, well, he did with the Safties on Good Time. Oh, was he on Good Time, too? He did. Also he an did amazing th- soundtrack. He did uh, Bling Ring from Sofia Coppola. I have not seen that. Mm. I haven't seen that but, either. But, um... I think On a Trick's Point Never was a great a great choice for this sort of soundtrack oh, as well, given yeah. like his previous work with sound collage stuff and like ambient music as mm-hmm. well that that played into his music. When yeah. even when he's done more melodic stuff, yeah. that's the one music tangent. And I think the uh, I think the electronic uh, choice of electronic music, I mean, it definitely. I lo- I love that. It's it's interesting too because I we're in it. an era right now. I think where like the electronic new wave sounds are so oversaturated because we're in an era of like 80s and 90s nostalgia perversion. <laughs> well, know? I'm talking about more specifically with filmmaking. Well, I don't really hear that in filmmaking. No, well, that's... I, I think I still hear it in filmmaking. Like, when I watch, like, an It Follows, right? Like, a movie like that that very much calls back to, like, 80s horror, the soundtrack, uh, I think, is very okay. evocative of that kind of Let's a thing, see. you know? Whereas this, it doesn't feel like that, though. Yeah, it like feels very new. Use, yeah, it he managed to use similar sounds and make something that's entirely different. Yes. Like, it's not evocative Exa- of, yeah. of previous films. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Great soundtrack. Oh, I know, it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And then the cinematography as well. Okay, so I remember I was on the... On the film, the version I have on Criterion Collection, they have this commentary track over the entire film, and they were talking about the cinematograph cinematographer they got. His name is Darius Konji or something like that. Yeah, he's like really good, right? Yeah, like he's known, they he's were. A known they, yeah, no, I mean, he's obviously good. I love this movie, but he he's is. Wor- yeah, he's worked with acclaimed directors such as David Fincher, Woody Allen, Jean Pierre Jeunet, and there have been. Roman Polanski. <laughs> we don't stand a lot of these directors on this list. Also, uh, we got Woody Allen and Wong, Roman Polanski know, on here. <laughs> to uh, be clear, Wong Kar Wai. Okay, Wong Kar Wai is um, great. Legend. Yeah. Michael Haneke. Legend. Danny Boyle. Um, Bong Joon Ho. Mm. He's worked with PTA. A lot of really, yeah, a lot what? of really great oh, different kind of directors. Also, yeah, incredible. Yeah. And so I guess they were like geeking out over the fact that they got him. <laughs> but apparently, the way that the process worked when it come when it came to shooting the film, he wasn't really there on set. Uh, Darius wasn't. He he was kind of like a mentor role. He let he let the Safties shoot the film how they wanted to shoot it, and I guess. Darius's role was more so. I think you could do this better, some that, sort of way. That sort, sort of, of makes thing. sense, given like the other movies that he's worked on, directors he's worked with. None of them are shooting the way the Safties are, like I mentioned earlier, where they're not using. There's no. There's no blocking that is happening. There's. It's very naturalistic. 
Um, so I think it makes sense that he sort of acted as a, a mentor there. And I think there are more shots in this movie compared to like Good Times that are sort of more still shots and, and shots that you can kind of rest in more. They're few and far between, but they are there, you know, which they have not been previously in the Safety Brothers work, at least that I've seen. Um, Safety Brothers are usually very much so camera kind of over the shoulder, like yeah. very much with you. Oh, no, yeah. Scene, and know? I was going to say. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, over-the-shoulder shots, handheld yeah. uh, camera there's work. There's still a lot of that in this movie, but they're not afraid to back up a little bit more in this movie, which I don't think they've done before uh, previously. And I think that, that working with that cinematographer has kind of gave them the excuse to do that, you yeah. know, to have there be a moment where the camera can be still. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Uh, in Good Time, in Good Time, which is the film that came out before this with yeah. Pattinson, that was like... Also a great film. That was... <laughs> That was con. Uh, yeah, it was mostly handheld work yeah. in that film, if I recall. Well, and like I, I think here, I mean, I can the the example early on where he's in the apartment, you get like this really like slow pan of of the apartment where he's uh, holding up his mistress or whatever. Oh, yeah, outside. Yeah, 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 it's an yeah. exterior shot. Yeah, yeah, like it w- things that wide. I haven't seen the Safdie brothers do mm, previously. I see. Um, and I think that 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 influence probably helped with that as well. Yeah. Um. Great stuff. I love I this. Know, movie. I, I love it too. <laughs> I mean, I I, I, I want to give the Safties credit for something too because they when they were writing this in 09, Adam Sandler was the guy they had in mind. That's they, crazy. They wanted. Well, did they? Was they sent it to his agent, and his agent rejected it. Adam Sandler they, did not read the <laughs> script. I was reading in the booklet that they wrote. 25 drafts of the film. So I, I know insane. that I, I did hear that they wanted Adam Sandler like when they started casting that he yeah. was like the first choice. But to think that they had Adam Sandler in mind when they first wrote the movie in 2009. I think they reached out to him. They they sent him, I think they sent him an early version of the script and his agent turned it down. Didn't even... Well, in 09 they were an it. unknown quantity. They were still like, I think, student yeah. filmmakers really at that point. Well, their first I mean, film, yeah, the first film came out in 2008. Oh really? Daddy Long Legs. That was that was oh eight. That was oh eight. Man. And then they started writing this a year later. But they origi- they they had cast um, Jonah Hill in as, the role and, as, as Howard. As Howard. Oh, and then crazy. they s- and then I think it was I want to say twenty seventeen or something. They swapped him out, and they Man, got so Howard, they got their so guy. St- that's crazy. They're, so I'm seeing here on the timeline of the making of this film. So Robert reaches out. To the Safties after they released Heaven Knows What, which came out in 2014. Yeah. Those and they were like, uh, we love you, but let's do good times. To- let's do good time together. Mm-hmm. That's not, you're, not, you're not the exact <laughs> person we want for Uncut Gems. And oh, then, uh, Pattinson w- reached out to them on for yeah. Uncut Gems? That's crazy. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know who you meant by Robert. I thought Robert, that was a last name no, for Robert a second. Robert Pattinson, <laughs> yeah. Robert Pattinson. Goated, by the way. I, c- I know, and he's great in good times. I can't imagine him in this role. No, he, no. And so Good Time comes out, and then Sandler uh, was interested, and so he reached out to the Safties after Man, Good Time came out. Man, it all works out. And then they started production in 2018. It's a vision oh. board thing, right? Wow. <laughs> it literally is. Yeah. You're manifesting Adam Sandler into your movie. Imagine Robert Pattinson <laughs> reaches out to you to like star in your specific well, film, and you're like, no, well, we're going to get you a different I mean, one. <laughs> I mean, this, one's for, we, this one's for Adam. Yeah, I mean, we haven't, we haven't mentioned this yet, but I think the – the Jewish aspect of the film oh, is, yeah, is yeah. deeply entrenched in the identity of it. Yeah. You got the Safdies who are Jewish. You got Adams Jewish. And there's a lot of moments where it's like, I feel like there's a lot of anti-Semitic, um, a- an atmosphere of that, yeah. ar- like outside of his family. 
you know, you got like Keith Sanfield's character, the Bonnie, who yeah. who kind of makes jokes or prods about his his uh, Judaism, his belief. There's yeah. definitely like a, a racial and cultural aspect to the film as well, um, in the way that I think all the notable side characters who sort of act as foils to Howie throughout the film are black as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that there's something there. Yeah. If we're going to talk like thematically, but I wanted to to say really quick about um, Jonah Hill. I, ju- I just wanted to say I feel bad for Jonah Hill because I feel like he has the the ability to be a really solid dramatic actor, and I don't think anyone's given him like a good script yet. I've seen some <laughs> of his more dramatic movies, and they're all just like a little bit less than fine. Like they're just kind of mediocre. Mm. Mm. I saw War Dogs; it was fine. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Jonah Hill, if you're listening, we apologize. Jonah Hill, I uh, can we do a super bad episode on the show at some point? <laughs> I love listen. I love Jonah Hill. I've never seen that. Oh, dude, really? I've never seen it. No. I don't know if you if you haven't seen it, like in high school. We'll we'll talk about it off air. This is not this is the yeah, uncut yeah, jumps yeah, yeah. episode. Yeah. But let's not get off track. Um, but yeah, I mean, t- talking thematically, I think there definitely is like a deep element of. Uh, uh, of racial and cultural tension throughout the movie, yeah. like you do have Lakeith Stanfield's character. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what his name is? Damani. D- Damani, yeah. Damani. Um, who I think is a consistent foil to Howard, and uh, who Howard is constantly uh, sort of bemoaning for for cheapening his practice or, or creating schemes. Meanwhile, uh, Howie is also side hustling like these fake watches doing and the everything. Same thing, yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, right from the beginning, I mean, the first scene you see in this movie, and it never comes back again, is how this gem was was found, and it's it's this deep, like terribly exploitative labor oh, by this yeah, like definitely. this this group of of African miners, uh, and it immediately cuts in. It, you you press into the diamond, you press out, and you're in Howie's colonoscopy. Yeah. Like it literally that was goes such a cool transition. No, it is yeah. a cool transition, and it's like kind of funny too. But it's like I think goes to to express like the. The way that Howard doesn't like value people who are are hustling and laboring either the same way or harder than he is, you know, and I think that there's like a a racial element to that, like in the themes of the movie. Yeah, and calling back to something I said earlier, uh, Howard sells Kevin Garnett the legacy, Mm. the history, the 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 power. These guys are working, working their asses off to get this gem out of the mines they are working day in and day out they're slaving away i mean the opening scene it, it's somebody who's hurt yeah. somebody's hurt who has to be carried out of the mine and it doesn't seem like anybody the people in charge really care no and garnett sees this history i mean even when near the near the end of the film when sandler tells garnett how much he paid for the for the rock. He paid $100,000 for this rock. And he's qualifying it and saying, "100,000, you don't do you know what $100,000 means to these people? This is insane. This is a lot." And he says, "If you thought Garnett says, "If you thought it was worth a million, why didn't you pay a million?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I th- I definitely think that's an element of the movie, and especially in the way that uh 
Howard sort of manipulates people as well. Um, he's a deeply manipulative character as well, which is I think oh, another yeah. thing. It's another thing that I think adds to the Adam Sandler performance. To, to touch back on that real quick, I think we're jumping all over the place a little bit, but it's a great movie, and I think it kind of goes with uh, how the movie presents itself in the way that we're jumping all over the place. That's the same way the movie is, you know. <laughs> but it's very um, conversational. Yeah, exactly. 1,000%. But uh, I think it goes to Adam Sandler's performance again that he is this along with all of these other plots that he's got going in his head constantly and the schemes that he's got going on, he is not an honest character. You know, he's also got to cook up like these lies and remember which lies he's telling to which person, which face to put on as a performer for like that scene. And I think that it, it again goes a long way that I think much of the audience is still going to want to root for this guy as well. Like, I mean, at least I know that when I watch the movie, I'm like, I, in even in the same way that you want to root for, like, somebody like, uh, I think Walter White is, like, a worse person in Breaking Bad, but, like, like a Saul Goodman in Better Call Saul or something like that, where, like, these are guys who should face consequences for their actions, but, man, I sure hope they can get out of this, <laughs> out of yeah, this scrap right, right now. Right. You J- know? James Spader in The Blacklist. Yeah, He's sure. number one on the most wanted list. Yeah. You still kind of want to see him, you know, succeed. I mean, I, I'm kind of of the uh, belief where you know, we should want him to pay off his debts. We should want him to be debt free because I'm thinking this is the m- the 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 point. Going going into this movie, going revisiting it again, I'm thinking that's the point. This is going to be the story of gee, how is he going to recover? How is he going to come out? Is he going to come out? Ooh, we don't know. We'll have to watch the film and I find out. I just don't think that's true to his character. But that's not true to the character of Howard, though. I mean, he doesn't. He's yeah. got the opportunity, but again, he's not afforded the opportunity to change. Well, that's. A, I think what the movie is I'd trying say to is. say. Yeah, I, I think what the movie is trying to say. There's there's multiple times where he can get out of what no, he yeah. can like, cut his losses. That's true. He can. Right. And I think what the movie is trying to say is that he won big at the end. It just happened to work out, but there's still... The, the the script the narrative does not think that he deserves <laughs> uh, that that chance to to start fresh again and I, th- mm-hmm. I think what it implies is that there he would get you know out of debt if he had had lived at the end of the movie he would you know make right with wh- whoever needed to make right with and he would just immediately start he'd start that again. cycle yeah, again yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd start over the cycle well because I mean probably. and there are the things where like there are plots that aren't quite resolved by the end of the movie like no. side plots or whatever yeah. so that's the thing yeah. too you know he solves this one and if he wasn't shot there would be like already like more things that he has to deal with you know uh, he's never a person who has that moment of rest mm-hmm. um throughout the film or just like you know throughout what you get from the moments that you can assume are happening outside of the film I mean with the big debt that he has with Arno, you could argue that it would have all been avoided if he didn't give the gem to KG at the beginning of the film. There's a million chances he has to get out of what his final fate ends up being. Like even if he would not be entirely out of debt, you know, he could oh, cut well his losses. Yeah, 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 yeah. He could take the nineteen thousand or the twenty one thousand, he could give it to these guys and be like, Okay, hey, we're done. We're good. Uh, the guys that he sells the rings to. Um, right, because things just get worse by his own his own, his choices, own hand. His yeah, own yeah. 
he's just trying to play every single card with every single person to does to benefit succeed. himself. And that's what I man, I I I don't understand that, how you don't like this character that's why performance because it is like he's so he's he's very deep. There's so many layers. But I I kind of want to attribute it to the to the script to the script more than the performance. Well, I mean, like I said, yeah, I, think they I, I mean, think Adam did write the film, but I think they work so much in tandem. Though. No, but yeah, no, scatterbrain. That's the point. But I think no, I'd say Adam, because you got words on a piece of paper. He's yeah. got to bring that out. I mean, he's got the help of the Safety brothers to like kind of direct them in a certain way. Yeah. But Adam. He's the one on the screen. He's the one we see. He is the one acting, after all. And he's the one we see through the whole movie. Yeah, well. I brought that up as well. But so there's no time that we don't spend with Adam Sandler. So he's film. bringing these words to life. He's bringing these words to life, and I think he does it in a masterful way. I would say. Oh, even just with like right here, he doesn't have a line of dialogue here, and just with his facial expression, this you sequence. Can, like, yeah, this. Oh, we should we should clarify for the listeners what sequence we're watching right now. Also, this so is the auction sequence. This is the auction sequence when the gemstone, the black opal, is being sold. Um, yeah, in an auction house. But it was valued for far less than what, what it should have been. Yeah, than what he had assumed it would be. Yeah, he, he got his father-in-law in there to drive up the price mm -hmm. so that he can kind of gouge uh, Kevin Garnett. PG, yeah. And you can see <laughs> just in Adam Sandler's face throughout this this <laughs> moment. He this is oh. this is like the silent moment. <laughs> this is like the this only. This is one of the of best silent. sequences in the film. Yeah, I, I love this. I, I should love say, this. I was anxious here. Yeah, I should yeah, say. And it is. Because there, there's so much going on. There's so many different yeah, Arno points. You know? and then, yeah, Arno's here. And, and you can see in Adam Sandler, he's, he's like reacting begging. to every he's element. He's you know? begging. He's like, please, yeah. please, please. Like, please. To every Bet, point. Bid for thing. this. Bid for this. Yeah. It's fantastic. And then the cut. Yeah. The editing, the directing, all these, like, the way that the Safties managed to keep it on a consistent level with, like, the eye. The yeah. where the eyes are, this where the camera goes. Th this seems like something that might have been uh, could be attributed to the cinematographer they were working with as well. Because this, do this oh doesn't yeah. feel like this a lot of Safety Brothers movies. This is either. not. This is not easy to do. Yeah, no. this is not easy to do. <laughs> well, it, like I said, just in in from what I've seen with Good Times and, and Daddy Long Legs, like it's not. They don't do things like this. Very no, often. like static shots like this where yeah. you are mirroring them. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just because this is very cinematic as well. You oh know? yeah. You can feel the energy too. Yeah. You can feel like the momentum pushing yeah. and moving towards this like climax and then even it all falls down and it doesn't go the way he wanted it to go. Even to take this hand in hand with the sound design of the film, mm -hmm. I mean, in this we hear a lot of words. I mean, I, d I did pull up a graphic. I do want to say we I pulled up a graphic. Uncut Gems has the fifth most f-bombs in any released media uh <laughs> and also has the fourth most uses of that word per minute <laughs> over that's four that's over so four funny. per minute if you're going to average it out that's hilarious. but that's crazy that's hilarious and specifically the f the f-bomb also not not any other curses yes yeah. Yeah. you've yeah. got but you've got all of this sound you've got all these words overlapping each other you can to call back to one uh dangers and huge positives <laughs> sorry uh you overlap it you don't lose any pieces of what somebody is saying it's easily digestible as tristan was saying but you can there is a, a, a moment in the auction where you can hear garnett's uh assistant whisper yeah. it's a whisper it's soft and yeah. you can barely pick it up 
but it's it's there yeah. and it's just a little tinge of more variety and reality and and that it, like, you wouldn't hear this person say out loud Kevin, we agreed on 175. And this almost feels yeah. like a stupid point to make because I feel like a lot of movies, a lot of like the mumblecore genre, especially those really popping in like the early 2010s, mm. I thought was kind of full of itself in a lot of ways. Yeah, Noah Baumbach. Uh, what, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, like, and that's just my opinion also. These can be very great movies, whatever. Yeah. But similar to like what people would say about those movies no one in this movie feels like they're a person in a movie no one talks like they're delivering a big monologue you know like this is my speech now the most like quotable line from this movie well there's a few but one of adam sandler's uh uh, like this is how I win. That is just mm. delivered in the middle of a conversation. It's not accented at all. It's it's just a line <laughs> that is said, like in a conversation, like it would be, you know. Right, right. Um, and I think that that's great because this isn't a mumblecore movie. This movie is very written. <laughs> So with how written this movie is, it it it's really an amazing thing that they pull off. Like like you said, those little moments where the woman there it just whispers to Kevin Garnett that, it, and it's very, it's what would happen in that situation in real life. You know, there isn't like a moment where she says we agreed on this, whatever. There's not a pause. It just it's a aside. You know, and this movie is full of moments like that, and it just feels very lived in and very very real while still being this cinematic. Film, you know. Yeah. <laughs> just seeing, just seeing uh, Adam getting whatever happened to his whatever he did to throat. His throat. Can, we, can we talk about two things? I guess with that, right. there's or the. Or I gotta wrap up here soon. But okay, just two no, things. Yeah, yeah, real quick. The quick, the comedy in this movie and the violence in this movie are both so well done because there. I think there's a a, a few comedic beats in this movie where. It is while everything is high anxiety as well, yeah. so you, I feel like you don't get to laugh at them a lot. But like, there's moments where I'm like, "This is funny. This is like a funny like situation." Uh, like uh, when he's at his daughter's. Yeah, and he ends up in yeah. the trunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he exactly. ends up in the trunk. But Naked. what I'll yeah. say about that is that the violence in this movie is rarely slapsticky. Like it's very like very real kind visceral. of violent. Yeah. And so I think it's crazy that this movie has Adam Sandler's the main role and has serious, like intentional violence in a way that like most movies I don't feel the like hits that happen to a person, but this one I think I really mm. do. Mm. And still has like comedic moments that aren't overplayed, you know? Right. The stakes are real. And if I just can do one more yeah. fun little callback here, mm-hmm. there's a scene that they have to s- the f- he's driving his family home from it's Passover, right? The Passover Seder. Yeah. They're coming home and he says, Hey, I need to make a stop at the apartment oh, yeah, that his, his that his yeah. mistress is living in. And he brings his son up to, you know, use his neighbor's bathroom. In Death of a Salesman, the climax, the big moment, actually happens like 20 years in the past. But sequentially in the play, it happens very, right at the very end, where the spiff the son realizes, oh, my father, Willie, is cheating on my mother when he goes on these sales trips. And <laughs> that's the moment where he realizes, oh, my father's pumped me full of hot air. My father kind of sucks. Uh. And there's this moment uh, when his son comes out of the out of the bathroom of this random, random neighbor's house <laughs> yeah, that this dude, is, this, this dude has never met Howard. Howard's never met this yeah. guy. He lets his kid use the bathroom inside the house, which is a whole other thing. But, like, <laughs> he's talking, and he comes out, and he asks his dad, hey, 
who's the chick you've got living in your apartment? And is, as they're coming out, you can kind of see it in the son's face. He's like, oh, my God. My dad kind of sucks. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Is well, this what's going on? Yeah. He, he kind of has that realization, yeah. which I, I, I'm going to say it again. It's, it's more of a modern death of a salesman. I see. Well, the reason why uh, that they were even there was because he was uh, Howard was checking to see if uh, Julia was yeah, there. Yeah, if she, she packed her because she had or to whatever, move out yeah. because there was a big the fight of the weekend. Yeah, because <laughs> Howard thought she cheated on him, but with the weekend. And then there's a little, there's another aspect about this film about toxic relationships. Yeah. And yeah. how their relationship is terrible. Yeah. It's terrible. Oh, but yeah. you feel like it's like one of the last things you think about because it's just another yeah, thing it, piling it on is. to his terrible and life. That's what's so great about the script to me. Yeah. Is that the fe- everything plays in to the character. Like it's a character study through and through, mm. but it has these side characters and and the way that the script is written, the way that it's shot, and the themes that it covers, the amount of themes that it covers, all play into the character's frame of mind, which is just, I've got too much going yeah, on right now. Like, and so it is, like, there, there's infinite layers to this movie. You've got to know about people to know this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> but, you know, one of my favorite moments in the film... When he's talking to KG after he did the sale of the gym, and he's talking about like he gets the cash, KG asks him how much did you pay for this? He tells him a hundred grand, and then you know KG goes on, well that's not that's not right, and I completely agree with KG on that on that front. And then wh- what does he say? How how doesn't Howard Howard goes like he's talking about like uh. He he, t- he talks about like, oh, do you know what a hundred thousand is to these people? And he talks about like the labor that he put into finding the the jewel on his end. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, and then he go it goes on this tirade about how KG he KG needs to perform to win. And he's like, uh, Howard is like, oh. Let's sh- let's show you the odds from yeah, Vegas. Yeah, yeah. Let's see how they got you and the Celtics going. <laughs> and then Adam gets pumped up, or Howard gets pumped up by all this, and he's like, "Let's bet on it. Yeah, let's yeah. bet on it." And when I see this, I'm I'm just face palming so hard because he got his break, and Arno and his guys come in into a store ready to get the cash because Howard's told them right before KG came in, yep. yo. KG's coming to my shop. I got the cash for you. We'll be good. And he gets the cash, and he's like, "All right, let me gamble it away." <laughs> to me, the unbelievable. That's the that's the that's the moment where the movie like clicks into being perfect because yeah. I think that that is what connects it to the ending. Yeah. That this person, this is not the kind of character that gets resolution. Yeah, and I he, think he doesn't. I think do anything to get it for I himself. Think, and I think maybe that was a bit of the reason why. Uh, one of Arno's, what's his name? Oh my goodness, the, the guy with the blonde hair, Phil. Oh, one of his goons, Phil. I, uh, I'm yeah. so glad you said Phil. goon. <laughs> Phil. Yeah, when Phil kills him at uh. the very end, like literally out of nowhere. It's quick. Literally yeah. out of nowhere. Well, no one is expecting it. Again, well, something, something that yeah. I think is interesting. Again, with the screenplay and the performances, you can kind of see him throughout that last scene like kind of planning his own thing in his head that is separate from Howard's and separate from Arno's and separate from the game. He is not clued. Like he's made the decision that he's going to do it. I think like an hour ago, you know, 
but he has just been oh, in that room. Right, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. I, I see that. Yeah. He's probably just tired of his right. tired of his charade. Yeah. He's like, I'm done with this guy. And we can't forget, he also kills Arno. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe they owe money to somebody else. Or maybe well, my like thought is that Arno, well, A, he was just like at that point messing up his own plan or whatever. It, we're, if we're talking about the ending in like a very like literal sense mm-hmm. like that. And also there's, I think, a thing for Arno's character as someone who was continuing to excuse the behavior of Howard's character. Right. Um. So in that sense, like w- in the eyes of the narrative, they both don't get that resolution because they both kind of feed into the same system uh, of of greed and of, of this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy that they find themselves in continuously. Right, right. Um, but yeah. I don't know. I, Great I, film. I, I, <laughs> I, I don't have much more to say. I mean, the film is fantastic. Yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I yeah, we can, do, we can do final thoughts. I love this movie. I've seen it. More than any <laughs> other film released in the past five years, so other than good. maybe Green Room. Green Room's also great for similar reasons. I Yo, think um, they're making a new film with Adam. I know, and I'm excited. Oh man, I'm really excited. <laughs> I met. I mentioned in the last last episode. I said, "Hey, Safties are doing another film with Sandler. That's going to be the best film of that year. Mark your calendars." If, if the Safties do it, well, they are. If they're they're doing another film with Sandler. If this one comes out and Sandler's playing a completely different kind of character and it's a different kind of film, do you think that that'll, in retrospect, make this movie click more for you? Probably. Yeah. I mean, so we'll, pro- I mean probably. we'll revisit <laughs> this in, like, what, two years' time or two whatever. Years, yeah. Two years. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what stage of production they're in. It's, yeah, I have I no know idea. If they've written that. They just announced it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's been several years since this came out, like so I assume that the script is done yeah. at the bare minimum. <laughs> Um, I can't wait to see the the Adam Sandler Safty Adam Saftler cinematic universe. <laughs> oh, <my>. <laughs> 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 oh man! But yeah, um, yeah. He's is he a character that deserves resolution? Well, he he deserves to live. Uh, but is he yeah. gonna is he gonna is he gonna change? No, probably not. He's in the self destructive pattern. That's just who he is, and I just—it's oh, so good, yeah. dude. Great it's film, so good. If you haven't seen this film, and you got this far into it, well, you already know what happens. You know what happens. <laughs> so <laughs> go I watch. Can, it. I think you can know what happens at the end, and it's still like a really great. No, ride. yeah, yeah, like no, it is. most definitely. Yeah. Yeah, like our words, our words, and what we're describing can only go so far. You have to watch it. You have to the way that they build tension yourself. throughout this movie too. It is like yeah, oh. it's, it's yeah, and I—it's I, suspense. The yeah. suspense continues to build. Every minute, every second, it is. It's a, it, it's a panic attack movie, and it <laughs> and it doesn't it doesn't let up yeah. for one second. It doesn't let up, and it just cr- like climaxes into this. Oh, you get this one moment of catharsis when the bet win, the bet yeah. goes big. He wins a million dollars, and then yeah, gets shot, yeah. dies. Yeah, and bye bye. <laughs> you know, I think there's something to be said too that yeah. Adam Sandler's character and the movie as a whole at that point is living for that moment of catharsis, right? So there's nowhere mm-hmm. you can take the character or the film after that. I think there's something to be said for that in the narrative too, and the reason that it ends with his death is because what is there for this kind of character after that moment of catharsis? That is the high for him. Yeah, you know? what it, and he finally what reached it, Yeah, it. exactly. That's yeah. a good point. What is there after? Nothing. Yeah. He's going to continue 
He's going to bet his it gambling away. addiction. He's going to bet it all away. Exactly. We can at least, at the very minimum, recommend this movie to everyone, though, right? Are we all in agreement say this is that? I'd say this is a must-watch. Yeah. Rec- I say I would recommend it to people. Yeah. You don't have to love it. That's you fine. You can't hate no, it, yeah. we but you can mean, probably again, see it. Yeah, yeah, it's everyone's own opinion. I mean, at the I end of the day. I love this <laughs> I love this film, too. I think, look, 2019, best year for film in the 2010s, mm. I would say. You had you had this, you had Parasite. Oh, Parasite is also Parasite great. is fantastic. Yeah. Jojo Rabbit also came out this year. And Portrait of a Lady on Fire, yeah. which was also Some incredible. That film is yeah. incredible. That one always gets under the radar. I mean, for me, even just even having I this and Parasite, I think those are both like two ten out of ten movies for me. Oh, even yeah. Marriage Story. I genuinely oh, Marriage Story is also great. Yeah, yeah. I genuinely think I'll Cut James is a masterpiece. Yeah, I genuinely think. Yeah, that. and yeah. And I think it's probably the b- I think it's a better film than Parasite. Whoa! I don't know if I agree with that. And I love this movie. I think we can because we have to wrap the show, right? Yeah, we do, we do. We do. We <laughs> do. We gotta hurry up. We're going off the rails here. <laughs> but but <laughs> I, yeah. I think that I maybe like Uncut Gems more. I think that Parasite might be a better movie. Well, I think I think Bong Joon Ho yeah. has a better film. What's than uh, Parasite? Which one do you Memories think? Memories of Murder. I've not seen that one. I've seen Mother, and I've seen. I, ha- I have memories of Murder. You should watch that. I'll check it out. Bong Joon Ho is great. Also, no, another, but another no, don't get me wrong. Yes. <laughs> Parasite, I think, is a five out of five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, incredible film, one of the best of that year of the decade. Yeah, easily, I'd say. Um, but we'll p- yeah, we'll talk about that at some point. Yeah, another. <laughs> you guys don't. You, do you have another movie to set up for next week that you guys uh, are doing? We talk about PTA retrospective or like a we'll filmography thing. Maybe that's a little too much. Maybe just like one film of his. Yeah. Do you want to do Punch Drunk Love? Go Sandler Sandler. Oh, I have it. You know what we should do? We should should double down on my playing the antagonist. Let's do Licorice Pizza. Licorice Pizza. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. We'll do that. Licorice Pizza, PTA. That came out 2021 last year. Just this past year. Yeah, we'll talk about that Uh, next week. Look forward to that. Um, this has been the Cinematic Odyssey here on United to the Moose. I have been your host, Tristan Rodriguez, Max Clark, Griffin Danger McMorrow. Here Thanks is for our special guest. Yeah, You'll probably you. hear him again at some Intermittently, point. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. I'd, if Brown. a movie that comes on that I feel really strongly about, <laughs> like yeah. as strong as Uncut Jeff. Yeah, okay, all right. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Um, yeah, thanks for listening. It'll be on streaming platforms soon after this releases, probably immediately. Um, but yeah. also on Instagram. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, Odyssey of Cinema. Yeah, on, Instagram. on Twitter and Twitter Instagram. Instagram. Yeah, check those out. And uh, that's it from us. Have a good night or yeah, good night. <laughs> good, good rest of your weekend. <laughs> good rest of your weekend. God Sound bless. Godspeed. Later. Good luck. Later.